I'm a college football fan. It doesn't help that my team is terrible. So every year, I get disappointed every single time. We have one good game, but somehow we decide to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. But this year, I'm super excited because things are all mixed up. And I think partially the reason why I like it is I like underdogs. Who likes underdogs in the room? Anyone like underdogs in sports? Well, no, first service is like half underdogs, half not. So I, I just now know that all of you guys like Alabama. And that's okay. We'll, we'll that. Um, but I love not only underdogs, but I love impossible storylines. Like the team that you never expected to win and somehow they win it all. Uh, so as my love for impossible stories and impossible dates, I have a few for you guys. Are, am, I, am I allowed to share these with you? No? Someone said no. Okay, I guess I'm just going to walk off now. All right. Uh, 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Why is this important? Because the last time they won the World Series was 1908. Over 100 years. Let's put this in perspective. How many of you are over 100? No one. You were all not alive last time the Chicago Cubs won. Like, you, you want to hear even a crazier stat? Do you know who the leader of Russia was at the time that the Chicago Cubs won? Tsar Nicholas II. World War I wasn't a thing. That's how bad they were for 100 years. So, I mean, at least they won one. I mean, you could ask if they could win at least more than one in 100 years. But you know what? A win is a win. Eh. What, what can you do? Now, in, also in 2016, the Warriors, the Golden, the Golden State Warriors did something incredible. They broke the Chicago Bulls' 1996 record for wins in a season. The record was 72 wins and 10 losses. The Golden State Warriors got 73 wins and 9 losses. It's considered one of the greatest seasonal achievements in all of the NBA. And they followed it up by being the only team to lose while up 3-1. What a terrible and great season. To, like, best win in the regular season, worst postseason loss ever. But impossible storylines, you gotta love it. Now, 2018, I know some people are gonna like this one, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That's kind of impossible, and it will probably never happen again. But you know what? It, it, it's... We, we pray and hope for impossible things all the time, you know. Um, and then finally, the most important date, 2020. You might be thinking, well, what team won in 2020? I did because that's when I asked my wife to marry me, and she didn't say no. Oh, talk about impossible storylines. She's out of my league. And she's so embarrassed right now. <laughs> but we all love an impossible storyline, right? Like, we all love that team that comes out of nowhere and then wins it all. But... Uh, one thing that I actually like to watch is not necessarily the rise, but how the team plays. Because if you that like, love sports, you, you understand this. When a team believes they can go all the way, they play differently. They like, play with a looseness, uh, a, a toughness. Like Every play matters. And the funny thing is that if you don't believe you're going to win the Super Bowl, you don't. <laughs> like, you got to believe that you're going to do this in order to win. And you can tell the difference between a team that believes and a team that doesn't believe when they play each other. One team is trying on every possession. One team is trying on every down. One team looks like the favorites. The other team looks like they don't want to be there. The other team is like struggling just to even make a play. And it's not even that. It's like the way that the players are. Like they're, they're sad and, and dejected on the sidelines. Like some of them are even scrolling through social media instead of actually paying attention to the game. Like... That's a, and no matter 
how good the defeated team may think they are, if they don't think they can win, nine out of 10 times, they won't win. Like their belief of their ability matters. Now, what I'm not gonna say is that your belief in your ability matters. I mean, it, it kind of does, but I'm gonna take it a different route. There, there's an excellent quote by A.W. Tozer, uh, a great theologian, and this is what he says. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced firmly to imperfect and ignorable thoughts about God. Your thoughts about God, those matter. What do you believe about God? You know, Dallas Willard, another great theologian, by the way, if you, want to, if you want to read a great book about spiritual formation, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, excellent book. But he makes a point that Peter, the apostle, had an incorrect belief about Jesus. You see, he thought that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to overthrow Rome. And then Jesus, the Messiah, comes in, and that's not his plan. The Messiah wasn't to overthrow Rome. His goal was to overthrow death. So there came a point in the Garden of Gethsemane where uh, Peter's incorrect thought of who Jesus is, an incorrect idea, came against the actual true reality. And he cuts off a guy's ear, and Jesus is like, no, we're not uprising. Like, and he heals the guy's ear. Peter, an apostle, had an improper view of God. Now, this is where it gets even crazier, Okay the guy that helped create the CMA denomination, Christian Missionary Alliance, his name is A.B. Simpson. He said this, our God has boundless resources, but the only limit is us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying, it's too small. Our expectations are too limited. You know, we're coming into the Christmas season, we're talking about Mary, a virgin that gave birth practically impossible. But it happened because God is the God of the impossible. Now, if we serve that God and we say we believe that God is the God of the impossible, that he never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then if he calls you to do something, don't you believe it will happen? Don't you walk in faith forward? Like, let me put it like this. How many of you have ever heard of the verse, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Yeah? Okay. Unfortunately, we'll read that and we often translate it as, I can do all things on Sundays through Christ who strengthens me, but through the week, it's just hard. Now, sometimes some of you read this as, I can do some things through Christ sometimes strengthens me. And I know this is me a little bit. Sometimes I read it as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me until my kids start backtalking me and then there's no strength right there. <laughs> like it's just done. My kids are 19 months now, 18 months old. And my son just learned the proper word no. And he thinks that he can tell his father no. Like, do you not understand that I'm your dad? <laughs> he has an improper view of who he is and who I am. He thinks that he can tell me what to do and doesn't realize that, like, I pay his bills, I change his diapers. Do you have an improper view of God? How do you really view God? And I, and I don't mean, like, what we say. What do your actions say? What do your actions say you believe in? When, call, when God calls you to do something, 
do you do it? Do you press forward as if it's done? If God hasn't failed us yet, why would he start now? So if he calls you to do something, don't you just believe that he'll do it? See, oftentimes I think that we don't understand faith. We think that faith can't have any doubt whatsoever. But the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's pure certainty. In order for there to be faith, you have to have at least some doubt. But real, true faith is pushing through that doubt and still choosing Jesus. So today we're going to talk about a story uh, in Luke 1, 24-36. Maybe you've heard it before, about the Virgin Mary. And let's take a moment, if you've read the story before, and process what exactly is happening here. So Luke 1, 24-36 is going to be on the screen, 26-38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, before we continue, we just got to lay a little bit of groundwork here. Uh, Marriage back then is not the same as it is today. There are three stages in the Hebrew marriage. There's the initial engagement, where the rings are passed. Then there's the betrothal period, and then there's marriage. Now, in the betrothal period... The bride is waiting for the groom to come, and she has no idea when the groom is coming. But when the groom comes, that's when they get married. She has no idea. Now get this. The bride was not supposed to be unfaithful in this time. This is a really big deal. If the bride was unfaithful in the betrothment era, you know what happened to them? She died. And not just like any death. She was stoned. Now you you may not know what stoning is. Let me put it like this. Uh, Stoning is when a bunch of people in a crowd get a bunch of rocks and toss them at your face until you're dead. It's very lovely. What a great way to die. So this is a big deal. If you're not married, you need to stay a virgin. So understand this context as we go into this verse, okay? Uh, Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if I was in that situation, I don't know what I would say, but I would not say what Mary says. Mary just says this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I'd be like, is that even possible? Like, do we have a check? Do we have a receipt about this? Like, on what day, on what time is this happening? But Mary just says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's a great final verse. Now, that's incredible, but listen to this very final part, what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be fulfilled to me. Then the angel left. 
Now, notice what this verse does not say. I believe you 100%, and I know for a fact it's going to happen. She may have thought that, but personally, if I was in that situation, I may have a few doubts on if the impossible can happen. Would you not? If you were in that situation, would you doubt a little bit? But what's interesting is that her response is so humble, so God-focused. She has true faith. In fact, I think that we often misunderstand what faith is. For example, we think that faith is a religious concept, that you have to be religious in order to have faith. And the truth is that everyone has faith, whether you're religious or not. Let me prove it to you. You all sat down in those seats right there. None of you thought that the seat would break. You all had faith that the seat would be perfectly fine. Why? Because you've seen seats before. Some of you have sit on like a million chairs in your entire life. You know what a seat is. You know its character. You know how it's designed. You know what its properties are. And it hasn't failed yet. Normally good seats last. So you made a very proper assumption that the seat will hold me. I know that none of you thought otherwise because I didn't, I was looking, I didn't see anyone like test the seat or like, you know, quick hop on and off just to make sure that it was broken or not. You know God's character. You know who he is. You've had experiences probably with him in the past where he hasn't failed. Why not trust him now? See, a better question is not to ask, do you have faith or not? The real question you should be asking is, what is your faith in? We all have faith, but a lot of times our faith is misguided. We tend to believe in our strength and our power more than the God of the impossible, what God can do. For example, how many times has God ever moved in your life and you knew you just had to do something about it, but you didn't know how it would happen? You didn't, like, you knew that you were supposed to be called to be financially stable, yet your bank account says otherwise. You knew that you were called to be a good husband or a good wife, but every single other person in your generation, as far as you know, like your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, all had marital issues. You had a terrible home life, but you knew that you were called to be a good parent. Is God not the God of the impossible? Can he not, he can make water come out of a rock. Can he not move in your situation? Can he not change your home life? Can he not change your marriage? Do you have faith? So we we tend to throw out the word faith a lot. But I want to do something really simple. I want to break down two things that we can do. When God gives us a call, we just don't know how to process it. We don't know how to respond. We don't even know if it's possible. I'm just going to give you two things, okay, based on this story. And then we're going to talk about a final point on how much faith you need to have. So the first one is this. If you have a call from God to do the impossible, whether it's big or small, first thing you need to do, ask questions of faith. It's, it's what Mary did. The very first thing that she did, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, she did not do what the guy we talked about last week, Zachariah, did. Zachariah asked a question in fear. How is this possible? She's old. Men, never say that to your wife ever, ever. Does not go out well. But when Zachariah is asking this question, he's not asking from like, I know God will provide, I just don't know how yet. He's asking in a state of fear. He's comparing his current situation to what God has called. 
not including the fact that God is the God of the impossible. He can do whatever he wants to. And notice that the angel does not condemn her question. He answers it. May not be the answer that she wanted, but he answers. In in college, one of the uh, facets of ministry college that I had to be part of is I had to go to college campuses and just minister to people and bring them to Jesus, tell them the gospel. Now, I really liked doing that. So what I chose to do is I wanted to go to the place where all the people would smoke because you get to hear some weird things that are going in people's minds. But there was a common thread. A lot of times the atheist in the group was usually originally a Christian and was usually told that if you question or ask a question about God, it means that you don't have enough faith and you don't trust him. But Gabriel doesn't reprimand Mary for asking a very legitimate question. I think part of the reason is because her goal is not to tear the thing down. She wants to be brought up in faith. We all know this. We can ask things in certain ways and get certain responses based on our tone. There's one thing to say, can I have a sandwich? And there's another thing to say, can I have a sandwich? When's the last time you asked a question about God and faith? God, I don't know how you can do this. I'm believing, but can you like show me how? God, I, I trust you, but can you help me understand? We need to stop assuming that God doesn't want any questions at all. He can take it. He's big enough. In fact, we have a motto in our youth group. God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of you asking if he's real. He'll work things out. But it starts with faith. Now, uh, how many of you know what this is? This is not a drink you should drink. This is power steering fluid. So please don't drink it or else I'm going to have to call an ambulance and that'd be very bad. But um, you pour this in your car when you want to turn. And without this, turning is really terrible. How many of you have ever had a power steering brake while you're driving? Like, worst thing ever, right? Like, it hurts your muscles a little bit. Like, I feel a bit weak whenever that happens. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not really that strong. Well, one day I'm driving my car and it breaks on the bridge and... It's the power steering and it's gone. And I don't know, I, maybe I'm selfish. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm lazy. Maybe I, probably all three. But uh, I decided I'm not going to fix this. I'm just going to hold on and wait as long as possible. I can drive without power steering fluid. I mean, really, how hard is it? I'm telling you, my muscles right here were hurting so bad every single day because I'm trying to pull the steering wheel and it's like in pain and I'm coming home to my wife. I'm like, babe, it hurts so badly. And she's like, just fix the car. (laughs) Now, what if, my dad actually had this fluid, by the way. So what if I go to my dad and I get the fluid, I pour it in the car and then I just sit in the car and I say, you know what? Car, drive me to Walmart. Just drive yourself. I don't have a Tesla. It can't do that. I have a 2007 Toyota Sienna. That thing can't auto-drive at all. And no matter how long I wait, no matter how long I sit in that car expecting the car to drive itself, that's not what this is designed to do. It will not do that. Faith involves first believing and then stepping out. 
And you can wait all day and say, Lord, I have faith. Now you make all the moves. You do all the setting up. You do everything for me. And that's not how God works. Faith has to be proven. If you have faith, if you believe in God, you got to step out. You got to turn on the car. You got to move the steering wheel. But sometimes we expect God to move everything and do everything for us. And he's like, I've given you the power. I've given you the ability. Can you just trust me and move forward in faith? And sometimes we don't want to use our faith because let's be honest, it's kind of nice being reliant on just ourselves. It's a lot less stressful sometimes, but it never really does work out, does it? I can tell you this. I drove that car for two months with that power steering fluid and not once did it magically gain it back. You know your situation. Do you have faith? And if you don't, that's like your choice. God has not removed faith from you. You just chose not to use it. Now, there's an important question about like, how much faith should I have? So there's this verse in James. This is James 1, 5 through 6. This is excellent. I, I love this verse. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, as a student, I grew up hearing this verse all the time and I'm like wondering how much how much faith do I need in order to cancel out how much doubt I have? Like, do I need 95% faith and like 5% doubt? Or is it like the other way around where it's like 50-50? Like, how can I not doubt? I always doubt. Like, there's always a little bit of, of me that's like, will God provide? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're perfect and God bless you. I, that, that's not me. But there's a little bit of, of me that every single time God moves, I'm like, is he actually gonna move? Jesus answers this perfectly. In Mark 9, 24, there's a man that comes to him. The, uh, he has a child that is demon-possessed and he's asking God to heal and to come with him. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal this kid? And this, this response is, is great, okay? Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the boy's father explains, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And do you know what's interesting? Do you know what Jesus says? He's like, you have faith. I'll heal the kid. So, Having faith is not lacking doubt entirely. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Knowing you have doubt, but pushing forward anyways. So let me tell you, like, you may have doubt if God's going to move. That's not an excuse to not move forward in faith. That's not an excuse to not believe. Like, I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, like, that's okay. Everyone has that. Like, it's not unique. I'm not up here having perfect faith and never doubting in my life. I doubt constantly. But my goal is, can I trust God every single day? Can you trust God right now in your situation? So the first step is you got to ask questions in faith. And the second one is you got to move forward in faith. Because we can sit in the car all day as long as we want. But if we don't take a, take a step of faith forward, that, that's not on God, that's on us. Let, let me put it like this, okay? As hard as I want to say this to you, okay? 
Imagine for a quick second, I never proposed to my wife. Now, I wouldn't have kids. I wouldn't be married. Do you know what I would also avoid? The possibility of her saying no. And it would be kind of nice, like, kind of being that in between, never getting her the opportunity to say no, but she would also never have the opportunity to say yes. And if I never took a step of faith forward, I wouldn't be here with, with children. I, I'm telling you this, like, you can wait all day and expect God to move completely all on his own and you do nothing. And he's just waiting for you to take a move towards him. Like, and you know, sometimes God does that. Sometimes God changes everything and you don't have to do anything. But often I find in my own life, like the times that he hasn't moved and changed me, it's because I haven't saw him first. You avoid the possibility of God not answering, but you also avoid the possibility of God answering and changing your life. I'll be honest, that's scarier. So look, I, I don't know who you are or where you're at, and I'm trying not to make light of your situation. I, I, I'm really not. Like, if we had a conversation about what you're going through, I'd probably be there right with you, feeling all your emotions, and like, I'd feel terrible for you. But we can't stay there. We can have a time for grieving. We can have a time for mourning, but we can't stay there forever. We have to move forward in faith. We have to believe that if God is the God of the impossible and the Bible is true, we have to walk out as if it's true. Because truthfully, if we don't, what are you missing out on? How... If, we, if this entire church just took a moment and for the last, next month, we just actually started believing that God is who he says he is and we started walking on faith like that, what could change in this county? Who could be impacted? Who could be affected? What friends and family would get to know God? What businesses would be absolutely changed? What lifestyles would be turned towards Jesus? We won't know unless we try and take a step forward. Ben, you can come on up. I want to read that final A.B. Simpson quote again. Our God has boundless resources. The only limit is us. Our asking, our thinking, our, pray our prayers are too small. Our expectations are too limited. Maybe you're like me and you realize that you say God is the God of the impossible, but you don't live that way. Just want to let you know. Welcome to the club. It's okay to be there right now, but we can't stay there. And oftentimes when I doubt, when I lose faith, I remind myself of who God is, his character, his goodness. I go into the Bible of all the crazy stories of, of God coming in, always at the perfect time, always when you need it the most, always at the right amount. I'm just blown away by God's faithfulness. And it brings me back to a realization of, I'm okay. 
And then I remind myself of everything that he's ever done in my life. Like, I'm good. I may not have the answers I want, but I'm taking a step out in faith because if he works all things to his glory, we're going to be okay. So, I don't know who you are. I don't know your situation. I don't know how deep the pain is. But I know God is greater. That he never changes. That he is good. That he's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. That he's the ever-present help in time of need. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So let me just encourage you. If you've been lacking faith, remind yourself of who God is. You've been hanging on barely. Remind yourself of his faithfulness. And through that, take a step forward in faith. As this band plays this last song, uh, if you need a reminder, think about what these lyrics say about the power of God coming through a virgin to bless this world through the ultimate sacrifice. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I pray that you just use us, that you bless this final song, that we have a deeper experience of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.